Hello and welcome to another episode of uh, GRD's Comics. You've never heard of that? You've uh, that you should probably know. Uh, I'm here with my uh, my guest this week, uh, Mike Sasson. Mike Sasson, that's right. Mike Sasson. So, uh, first question, Mike. Like, uh, when? How how long have you been doing comedy? I've been doing comedy right now. Probably it'll be I'd say let's just say six and a half seven years. Okay, okay. So you've been in it a while, and you started out in uh, Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, I'm originally from Pittsburgh. So what happened was is I uh, been in sales uh, since I graduated from college. I went to the University of Connecticut where I played football. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I uh, was in sales for a little while and then got uh, laid off from a job, but I had a little bit of a nest egg. Mm-hmm. So I uh, decided to go back to school and uh, decided to go to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. They had a uh, they had just opened a, a branch campus in Pittsburgh. And uh, Went there and learned broadcasting, and then the cool part was, as soon as I graduated from there, the school closed, so I didn't have to pay back the money. <laughs> so, the, 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 road, the, the road to uh, success is paved by those little things, but... Uh, <laughs> by, by, paved by others' failures? Yeah, by their, by their colossal failure to think that there would be enough people that wanted to be in broadcasting in Pittsburgh. So, from there, I did a, uh, got a job at a, uh, like a... Basically, a small little TV station in Pittsburgh doing sports uh, talk. Then, from there, I was able to work for CBS Radio in Pittsburgh, uh, their version of The Fan. Okay. Um, Helped open that, actually. Uh, Was one of the first people that was part of that. Then that went away, and from there, uh, I started, you know, kind of figuring out that, you know what, if I wanted to do something creative... It'd be cool if I had something that I didn't have to rely on a major corporation to hire me for. So I started doing stand-up comedy. Oh, wow. And uh, Pittsburgh's a cool place to start, uh, in my opinion, in doing stand-up comedy. Because it's one of those places that maybe about maybe about 10 years ago, there was maybe only about a, maybe two or three open mics a week. Now there's two to three a night. Oh, wow. So you, you can get up every night over there. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and wow. then from there, I was able to start getting local gigs and start doing a little touring around the Northeast and through the Midwest. And uh, then I just had my eye on whether I wanted to move to a bigger city. I have a sister, Mary, who's uh, done some writing for a Comedy Central show that'll start, uh, that uh, will be premiering, and I think, in about six months to a year. Oh, nice. And then I have two brothers that uh, do. Uh, uh, UCB and stuff like that here, so had the family connection, so I figured might as well fill every earthly possession that I have, fill up the old Honda <laughs> Civic and drive across the country and get out here. <laughs> and so I've been in LA for going on now about four months. Oh, you've only been here four months. It was mid-March, so now it's uh, uh, March, so April, May, June, July. Yeah, four months. Wow. So I'm like, I'm like one of the first people you met out here. Then. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I mean, the first uh, I I moved here on a Saturday, and by that Sunday, my first mic that I went to was a Sunday night mic at Flappers. Oh wow. And so yeah, just went from there. And um, so did, did you ever have a? Before you got into broadcasting, did you ever like an inkling to try stand up or or something creative like that? It well, I mean, I mean, I was on the radio, and I remember, you know, I I always viewed that I wanted to be funny. Mm-hmm. Actually, that was one of the things that they were mad about. That, that my, my program director was mad about the fact that uh, 
you know, his his words was, "Oh, don't try to be funny." <laughs> and uh, and so I, I, that's one of my motivations to become big in comedy, so that I can go back to this guy and be like, "Yeah, you told Mike Sasson not to be funny," but. Uh, <laughs> And then, uh, but uh, it was weird because it was always something there. Yeah. But it, it's it's like I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. You know, there's no like, there's no like, uh, you know, there's no like, especially in a place like Pittsburgh where it's it's kind of like, if like I said, there was maybe two clubs mm-hmm. and they'd have their open mic maybe once or twice a month. Yeah. And so I figured, you know, that wasn't a way to actually get good at it. And then I had a friend of mine who's now actually a, a comedian up in New York. Her name is Melissa. And she started to go, hey, there's these things called open mics where you can sign up and they give you five minutes and you can just try stand-up comedy and you don't have to pay for anything and they're every night and you can just kind of go from there. And then once I started doing that, just like, you know, here in Los Angeles, just kind of get into a, a group of people and a group of, like, like a community. Yeah. And so the same thing happened there. It's like, oh, well, if you go to this one, there's this other one. And then you start to go, yeah. well, there's this one that night. Actually, there's another one across town kind of deal. And this and, one's better than that one. And this one's better than this yeah. one and all that kind of stuff. And then you just kind of get into the groove. And then from there, people start booking you on shows and people start, and then eventually bookers start, you know, paying you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, yeah kind of go from there so <laughs> I'm very curious uh, tell us about your uh, first open mic experience was it good was it bad did, did I think every open mic every comic in their mind believes they are a natural yeah they have in their mind that they can do like uh, they, they have an hour in there <laughs> and so the first time I did stand up I remember I, you know, like, I'm known for being somewhat high energy now. Yeah. Uh, my first open mic set, I believe I screamed it. And <laughs> I was, I don't think I even had punchlines. I was just making a group of points. <laughs> like, you can tell sometimes when you see a newer comic who their influence was mm-hmm. because they're doing an impression of that person. Absolutely. Uh, I was doing a, an impression of Bill Hicks and George Carlin. Okay. So I was trying to make every... I was trying to change the world going to, to open mics. <laughs> I was trying to make make everyone understand the uh, the error of their ways politically by uh, <laughs> me screaming at them. <laughs> and uh, you said... And, uh, and like me, uh, you said you, uh, you, you played uh, college... Football in college. Yeah. So I it, played. Yeah, I played college football offensive line at the University of Connecticut. Offensive line, University of Connecticut. That's a big school too. Well, I mean, it's one of those things to where I just view sports is so similar to comedy and entertainment. So it's one of those things to where, like, if in five years I become as good a comic as I was a college football player, yeah. I'd be like, it'd be like I'm a working guy on the road. Yeah, like I'm not. I, I didn't go to Notre Dame. I didn't go to Alabama, which yeah. is kind of like saying you're Dave Chappelle or you're, you know, you're, you're Chris Rock. Yeah, um, I was a working comic that was pretty good. So I would say that. So it's one of those things. Anybody always says, "Oh, you were a great football player." Like, no, uh, guys who play in the NFL were a great football yeah, player. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, like, if you compare me to the average high school football player, yeah, I was a really good, <laughs> really good player. So it's kind of like however you kind of view it. But yeah, I mean, it's it was. I had an offer. It was weird because uh, 
when I was there, they were just making the transition from what now is called FCS, but then was one AA to one A. Like they know that they knew that they were going to uh, make the transition to becoming a bigger school, and so my group of people, we we thought we were going to be the group that was going to eventually play Miami and Virginia Tech and Boston College and Pitt. Yeah. And politics got in the way. Gotcha. Uh, so they they didn't build the stadium in time, and so I spent my entire career at the one double A level. But it was pretty cool. Nice, nice. So. Did you, uh, were you big in the stand-up growing up, or? I remember that it was one of those things to where I was always curious about it. Uh-huh. And, like, I remember watching, like, Bill Cosby himself. I remember yeah. watching George Carlin. I remember watching the, the first special that I think I saw from beginning to end and realized that this was really cool was Robin Williams' Live at the Met. Oh remember? my god, that's probably one of my absolute favorite yeah. specials. Yeah, I remember just watching him, and it's weird when you watch somebody like that, and then you get into comedy, and you realize just how incredible what he was doing. Yeah. Like, he was playing at the Metropolitan, you know, at, mm. at the Opera House, in front of like 3,000, 4,000 people. Yeah. You know, and, and probably what, like a third of what he was saying was improv. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it was it, that level of talent. And, I, you know, and again, as I mentioned before, a big influence of Bill Hicks. And then as you, you know, you kind of grow up and you become more into stand-up comedy. You then start, you know, you know the Chris Rocks and then the Louis C.K.'s and all that other kind yeah. of stuff. So, yeah. God, I can't believe you. You're the only one I... You're the only other one I've ever heard reference Robin Williams at the Met. Like usually, I reference that. People are like, "Which special is that?" I'm like, "Well, I think we're you and me are in, in similar age." It's one thing that I've found in terms of comics is that, you know, if you're 25 years old, you were born in you know you were born you know before that you know before that sh- that was a thing. Yeah. So and. It's not like it's a Richard Pryor special to where it became an album to where people will go back to it. Yeah. But yeah, I think is it, and also the other thing about it, it's weird how, like sometimes comics eventually get kind of get known for other things. If you go and talk to people like below the age of thirty, Robin Williams is the actor in This Is Doubtfire. He's yeah. He's Jumanji. You didn't know he was a stand-up. It's yeah. Just, you know, it's weird how like some people like we always. My sister and brothers are into improv, and so there's always this discussion on, you know, improv or stand-up, and like, okay, well, who, who, who was the, who produces the bigger talents? Yeah. And you know, and sometimes you have to make them remind them that Robin Williams was a stand-up. You know, he, yeah. It was a different type of stand-up, or Steve Martin was a stand-up, and to most people. They don't remember or even know that he was, you know, the guy sold out arenas. The guy was yeah. a phenomenon in the late 70s. But to them, he was, he's father of the bride. Yeah. So it, it's it's interesting how some people kind of get it started in stand-up, but then people don't remember that that's where they got, you know. Yeah. Or if you get even younger, he's not even father of the bride. He's just the dad from... Uh, the remake of Cheaper by the Dozen. Yeah, yeah, but, but yeah, he's an actor. He's, yeah, he's a more of a dramatic actor and not a comic kind of deal. So that's crazy. So you uh, you mentioned you've uh, you you you've, wrote, you've worked the road a bit. 
What's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you while on the road? I remember I was in a I was at a club in Youngstown, Ohio, and the headliner had invited me and another guy to perform with him. Uh-huh. And the club, and I use the term usely, or, uh, loosely, um, all I knew was that he was the headliner. Yeah. And he went up to us and goes, okay, you're both going to do equal time. Which one do you want to start? Which one do you want to feature? Okay. And so then the guy starts like playing the CD that says, welcome to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this, we still haven't decided who's going up next. Yeah. And so it was about a hundred people in the place, everything like that. So literally by the time they get to, you know, and your next performer, we had not decided who was going up. So I just go, fine, I'll do it. Yeah. And I walk up there and the waiter had literally like turned on the mic and all that other kind of stuff. So I start my set, I do my thing, I do pretty well. I get up on stage and I introduce the next guy. We're laddering it. Yeah. Um, which means you, j you you don't have an MC per se. You just yeah, say, hey, yeah, the next yeah. guy is blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He gets up and no one can hear him. And everyone's like, what the hell's going on? The waiter who had turned on the mic had not potted it up. I had done the entire show in front of 100 people, essentially a cappella, holding a microphone that was not on. <laughs> and no one had noticed. That's how loud I was. That's no one had no one had noticed that I actually wasn't speaking into a microphone. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. And then another time I was uh, in Denora, Pennsylvania, and it was a cancer benefit, which I had done I, I, I had done uh, all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, you know, like that, like the yeah. benefits. And typically they're fun. They don't yeah, touch whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was the feature. The MC went up, did about 15 minutes. Crowd was very lukewarm. I'm like, oh, okay, let's see who goes. I get up there. I do okay. Mm -hmm. Headliner gets up there, does about the same. And we're sitting there going, man, this crowd just is not into it. Yeah. The person who puts together the show comes up to us afterwards and goes, hey, great job. And we're <laughs> like, I don't know about that. You know, they didn't seem yeah. to be real into it. He goes, oh, no. About half the crowd had just come from a funeral of a 12-year-old boy. What the fuck? And they went on with the show? Yeah. They were just like, yeah, they didn't want to waste the tickets. Jesus Christ. So that happened. And then another time, uh, we were doing a benefit for a woman who had had, uh, like, several forms of cancer. And the person... Several? Yeah, like different types. Jesus Christ. And she came, uh, her friend came up to me and she goes, you know what her dream is? She wants to be roasted. What? And I'm like, you want me to roast a woman that has like five different forms of cancer? And she's like, yeah. And I go, okay, well, I go, they're going to hate me. Yeah. And she goes, would it help if she was standing next to you laughing the whole time? And I go, to be honest with you, yes. And she goes, she's willing to. <laughs> so there's pictures of this woman who had the best spirit and everything like that laughing as I'm making fun of her as she has like, you know, as she's basically... As she's dying. As she's dying. And she actually died six months later. Oh, that's... But like, she, her dream was to have me have a comic roaster. Wow. 
And so that there's actually, a, I have a picture of it on my phone of, of me standing next to her as she's laughing as I'm making fun of her. So yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff like that happens kind of deal. Yeah, I remember uh, I was on the road one time and we go into this bar, it's in Butte, Montana. And like we walk into this bar, Butte, Butte is just like known as like the shittiest place you can be in Montana. Uh-huh. And like I look inside this place and I'm like, oh no, we shouldn't be here. <laughs> and if I say that, my shift is over. We're doing a change, so I'm just gonna set this right here. I'll be right back. All right, sounds good. Anyways, and so um, and so we walk into this place. I'm, I'm pretty tipsy. Uh-huh. Sorry about that. I'm pretty tipsy to begin with, mm-hmm. and like this chick that wasn't even at the shows at the bar, nowhere near, not even close to the best woman I've ever been with. Mm-hmm. But like I see her, she sees me, she gives me this big shit-eating grin. I was like, oh, I'm in. And at some point during the night, like we're making out, and like, and I pop her tit out right in the middle of the bar. Okay. <laughs> and this guy looks over and he just kind of give, gives me this look like, yeah, been there, done that. <laughs> He's not impressed at all. But then, like, I quit drinking and I start sobering up. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, what the fuck am I? I was like, I gotta get myself out of this situation. Yeah. And so I'm leaving. And like she's like, where are you going? I was like, oh, I just, I just gotta run to the truck. I was like, I'll be right back. And I have no intention of being bad. <laughs> the headliner from that night, uh, he shows up at the truck with this chick. And I was like, fuck. And so, and we're like, we're not even like driving around. Like, we went, like, we were invited out by people from the show. And my, the headline was like, hey, can we bring her along? And to my dismay, they're like, yes, you can. And so the guy from the truck's like giving me the thumbs up and stuff. And I'm like, help. Me, we get back to the hotel room, and I'm like, "Well, she's here. I might as well put her to work." So I take her to the bathroom, put her on her knees. She starts doing her thing. And like I'm sitting on the edge of the bathtub, and uh, the headliner comes in. Me and him are sharing a room. It's one of my best friends in the world, and. Like, he's eating this uh, gas station microwaveable burrito. Uh-huh. And he just walks in, snaps a picture real quick. And then he's like, hey, you want some burrito? <laughs> I was like, absolutely. <laughs> so he hands me some burrito. <laughs> I'm just eating this burrito. And he starts unzipping his pants, <laughs> whipping his stuff out. So I... 
I was still, like, I was more sober, but, like, I was still pretty heavily in, under the influence. Uh-huh. So I just take her, I push her towards him, she goes to work, no problem. And the night progresses, one thing leads to another. I don't think, I don't think I have to paint a picture for you, for you to know what happened. Pass out, she's in, she's in the bed. I wake up, I'm like, oh man, what a fun night. I roll over and I, I audibly go, ah! <laughs> and so we start packing up and she wakes up she's like where are you going I was like get breakfast I was like we'll be right back <laughs> as we're toting our luggage behind us mm-hmm. and we just leave <laughs> and uh, the headliner's like you need to get her out of the room because uh, that's on my credit card I was like oh yeah I'll go do that so I just went in the hotel Stood in the lobby for a few minutes. And I was like, I'm not, not going back in there. And we, just, so I come back. I'm like, yeah, she's she's got a ride coming. And uh, we just left, and that's probably like the craziest thing. It's weird how like, especially in those small towns, how you are kind of you you're, you 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 might as well be you know Chris Rock. Yeah. You know because yeah. I've been to towns where like. The number one, they don't even say, hey, great show, hey, really enjoyed it. They just like, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for coming to our, thank you, this is so awesome, this is so, this, other kind of. And this was when I was, you know, I was coming from Pittsburgh. Yeah. I can't imagine what they would be if, like, oh, this guy's from Los Angeles. That would yeah. be, I, that would be like, oh, I came from the moon. Yeah. And so it, I don't know. It's 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 interesting. And it, now I had a buddy who was in a cover band, mm-hmm. and he has those type of stories times a thousand. Yeah. And I you know I have a joke about that we picked the wrong art form because if we were if we were into music. Yeah. We we it works at a completely different level. It'd be no content. It'd be unfair. Yeah. Because music works on someone's heart and soul. We work on someone's brain. Yeah. And that's why, like, it just, it leads to more kind of like, oh, I, you, you made me feel a certain way. I want to I wanna keep that way. Whereas we'll get more, we'd, we'd get someone who maybe intellectually wants to, you know, like, oh, you, 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 you challenged me and that's, that's what I go from there. But no, it's, it's the weirdest you know, road thing one time was I was in uh, I was in deep into West Virginia. Oh boy! And this uh, I was behind the crowd, and the MC sits there and goes, "Hey, you know, typical. Who has a birthday today?" And this one woman, I just saw the back of her head, raises her hand. She goes, "Oh, how old are you?" She goes, "I'm 28 years old." And they go, "Oh, happy birthday, 28 years old." So then he does his thing, and then I come up, and then I go, hey, you know, hey, and, and everybody, great to be here, and happy 28th birthday. And she smiles, and she does not have one tooth <laughs> in her mouth at 28. And I just, I, it took my, like, you talk about, like, that reaction you had with that woman next to you. It took everything in my power not to sit there and be like, dear God, what the fuck? <laughs> like, Jesus, you know, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's that's one thing that always gets me is whenever you mention that you're a comedian, they'll be like, "Oh, have you have, you know 
You ever done the comedy store? That's like saying, oh yeah, I, I played you know college football. Oh, did you ever play in the Rose Bowl? Yeah. I'm like, there's other places you play football other than yeah. the Rose Bowl. <laughs> Most of us are in Butte, Montana or in Charleston, West Virginia. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you, you mentioned... Uh, you really seem to lean on Bill Hicks. It, like that seems to be like your go-to guy. Well, he was somebody that, for a while, I kind of shied away from stand-up comedy because I felt it was kind of frivolous. Mm -hmm. It was something to where, like, you had the typical kind of '80s funny bone type, skinny tie, you know, what's the deal with airline food type stuff. Yeah. And if you wanted to, and in my opinion, if that was what you wanted to dedicate your life to, that was not necessarily something that I wanted to partake in. Yeah. And I remember watching him as a kid, like his HBO specials, and yeah. being, you know, uh, enamored by him. But legitimately, like in my early 30s, for some reason, I just started watching his clips on YouTube. Yeah. And... He just seemed to be somebody that was kind of like, I'm trying to do something above just, hey, what's the deal with airline food? Yeah. I'm trying to... He was essentially just asking everybody, why can't we do better? Yeah. Why, you know, why is it that we accept mediocrity? Why is it that we accept what the whole world is trying to spew and, and, if, and if at a lower level because I'm not at his level at a lower level that's it, what I tried in terms of my comedy in a sense of okay I'm trying to point out what we do and, and what we what we should be doing better Yeah. and if I can if, if, if that's what you pursue for the rest of your life is trying to make people understand that we can be better as a species that's a hell of a life lived yeah. And that's why I, I always are, am attracted to his comedy and that type of... Because uh, at the end, the great comics make you not only laugh, but go, wow, that's right. And, I mean, that's what we do. We, everybody, life passes everybody by, and w comics are the people that kind of grab onto a little piece of it and go, hey, well, what about this? Yeah. And, or, you know, someone said we're, we're aliens that kind of notice, like, hey, why did we set up the world this way type deal? Yeah. And that's art, really. An artist sits there and draws a, uh, you know, someone sees a sunset and goes, oh, that's nice. But then another person draws it and goes, no, this is, this is the beauty or the uniqueness of that sunset. It's the same thing that we're, we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why with great comedy, great comedy is something to where it, it a laugh is an agreement uh, but if you laugh and clap, not only are you agreeing, but you're you're, you're 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 speaking to a different level of truth. Yeah, and that's what he did very very well. So, uh, where do you where do you pull most of your comedy from? I always think that the great comedians should just kind of always be on the lookout. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things to where at at all moments you're just you're trying to figure you know like last night I was at I was at an open mic and someone had a joke about um, like America's Got Talent and in America's Got Talent he goes you know when they bring up the disabled kid everyone always goes oh what's gonna happen and he goes what's gonna happen is he's gonna be a hell of a singer they're not gonna bring a, a, a disabled kid up there and have him suck. And I sat there and I go, well, 
I think it'd be an awesome show if they did. Yeah. That would be an incredible show. <laughs> that, like, you'd sit there and, like, they'd bring up a, a, a mentally challenged kid and he would sit there and he would try to sing and he couldn't sing. I think that would be... I would watch that. I would sit there and be like, that would be... And his mom's off to the side all proud and everyone's like, why would you do this to this kid? And so... <laughs> To me, that's where comedy comes from, is kind of like this idea of like, okay, well, what if we, you know, we all know this is going to happen. What if this happened kind of deal? Yeah. And so now will that turn into a bit? More than likely not. But it's something to where, you know, if you do that enough, eventually something does. Like, I'm, I'm also working on another bit. Like, you speak about football. Like, I sit there and I go, you know, one of the things about Los Angeles that's different for me is back where I'm from, football is just so important. It's just life, yeah. everything. It's just yeah. so important. And, uh, you know, I was saying that, and some guy from uh, the South was like, no, you don't understand. In Alabama, you know, sport, football is religion. It's everything that we want. And I go, well, yeah, well, I'm from Pennsylvania, and yeah, it's important to you, but did your state university cover up child rape in order to improve its football program? Mine did, so that's how important it is to us. Like if, it, like, if you're not willing to cover up a child sexual assault in order to win football games, do you even want to win? Right. <laughs> that's fucking terrible. <laughs> but the point is, is that's what they did. They were yeah. more concerned with the, the, the fact that they were trying to win football games than trying to protect children. That's how much they wanted to win football games. And you said you went to college in Connecticut, yeah, right? Yeah, UConn, yeah. Yeah. Where we did not do that. <laughs> we did not want to win that bad. <laughs> like, oh, you rape children? You yeah, gotta go. Yeah, we'd stop that. We would say, <laughs> hey, the defensive coordinator is is uh, is, is, is uh, raping children. Really? Then he's fired. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> at Penn State, they were like, well... That might hurt recruiting. Yeah. So let's just keep it on the down low. <laughs> oh, it's so. It's just a, it's just a different level of commitment. I mean, some you know, oh, we pay for our you know for our quarterback's girlfriend to get an abortion. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure six and five is good enough for you. <laughs> oh. Just fucking awful. <laughs> so what was it? What was it like growing up with Mike Sasson? What What was that like? That's That's got to be interesting. Uh, I grew up in a family of eight kids. Jesus Christ! And so I was the second oldest. Oh wow! I was the oldest man. I have three younger brothers, so they would probably say. Um, Mike I, is a bully? Mike is... Well, not a bully, but it was one of those things to where, like, I tell my brother, I go, I go tell, tell your... Like, he's now... He's going to turn 40 this year. I go, you know, you tell any of your friends, like, oh, was your brother hard on you? My brother is in Los Angeles and professionally a ball buster. <laughs> That's how good my brother was. <laughs> your, your brother became a dentist, okay? My... <laughs> My brother's professionally hoping to bust balls, so <laughs> that's the level he had. So I would assume it was, you know, I mean, children in, in their core at some certain age become assholes. 
Yeah. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I, I, I think I was a nice kid. You know? Yeah. I mean, and, but, uh, and to be honest with you, it took me a while. I mean, I didn't start... I didn't start doing comedy until I was in, you know, my mid-30s. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And I started when I was 19 years old. It took yeah. me a while to kind of get to that point to where I would feel comfortable on a stage. So what was it like growing up with Mike? I would say, you know, generally nice, but had his moments of being a dick, which I think is pretty yeah. pretty, pretty typical. Yeah. Like I was a, I was a really, really nice kid. Like I was just the sweetest little boy. Mm-hmm. And then like I grew, I grew into myself, mm-hmm. and like I became this hugely popular teenager. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how quick I, I became like this douchebag fucking asshole. I don't think I ever became a douchebag asshole. I think that when you're 22 and you're a college football player and you're around that attitude of you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof, it it is very, very difficult to maintain a sense of of being not a complete asshole. I think I did better than most people I hung out with. Yeah. Uh, Some, you know, I mean, that's one of the things about being an athlete. You do have to walk out on the field and believe I'm the baddest motherfucker on this field or you're not going to be successful. Yeah. Um, which I also think in comedy, you do have to walk on stage and go, you know what, I'm worth being listened to. Yeah, you, you, like you kind of have to have this mentality, like, I'm the greatest thing that ever happened to this. Yeah. And Now, in stand-up, I would say that in, 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 in stand-up, you do just have to be like, hey, I'm... I was watching uh, Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee and Steve Martin was talking to Jerry Seinfeld about his persona in the late 70s and he goes, at some point I decided to fake confidence. And I always do feel that it's very important to have a certain level of, I think this is funny and if you don't then it's your shit, it's your fucking fault. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to say it, but you do have to have this idea in the world. Because like, I remember watching Patrice O'Neill, and he always would sit there and be like, if the audience senses your weakness, they'll turn on you. Yeah. And so you do have to almost have this attitude and this persona of, I have no weakness kind of deal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's uh, I think that's 100% accurate. It's like, if you don't believe in what you're saying, why the fuck should they believe well, saying. that's why, like, again, I hate name dropping all the time, but that I do it because so people don't think that I'm saying this. But Ricky Gervais one time said, I never understood why comics apologize after what they said. Why did you say it if you didn't believe it in the first place? Yeah. Now, someone would sit there and say, because they thought it was funny. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, Jerry Seinfeld one time goes, he was, he, it took his wife 20 years to realize that sometimes he will just say something that he knows he completely doesn't mean because he thinks it's funny. And one time his wife goes, oh, so you just create sounds with the thought and the notion that it will elicit laughter. And he goes, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I don't mean anything. That's what a joke is. It's I'm saying it because I believe that it will create laughter. And that is its purpose, not to transmit information. Exactly. I didn't know that actually, but that's uh, like I say shit all the time, 
and like my sisters who are huge feminists are like, you're sexist. I'm like, I'm just trying to get a laugh out of you people and you're just not fucking having it. It's, it's, it's interesting when you do talk to, it, it, when you do hang out with only comedians, mm -hmm. it, it can warp your yeah. sensibility of yeah. like what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. Yeah. I remember the first time out here in Los Angeles, I hadn't performed in front of an audience for a while, but I performed at the Ice House up in Pasadena. Yeah. And it took me about two minutes to realize, oh, these people aren't comedians. Yeah. <laughs> They're here to just eat chicken wings and have fun. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, let's 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 dial it back a little, Mike. <laughs> That makes so much sense to me. It's like I can, I can get very political and fucking joke around with people, and they're like, "Oh, that's so funny!" And then like I'm like, "Oh, you think that's hilarious? Okay." And then I just go on stage and it just eats a bag of fucking dicks. I think sometimes comedy and live performance is an energy transfer, and if that person and that group of people it's like dancing you know you can play the music if they don't want to dance then yeah they're not gonna dance yeah um if they're in the mood to dance you can play pretty much anything and they'll start dancing yeah um but yeah i mean it's 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 always that someone told me once he goes there's no such thing as bombing there's just bad choices <laughs> And that's what your job is, is kind of to make the right choice yeah. and feel what the audience is kind of into kind of deal. Yeah. Which it's weird because some people would listen to this and go, no, your job is to say what is that what you believe in the audience be damned. I think you have to walk a tightrope there. Yeah. Because I think that if you don't care what the audience thinks, then you're a narcissist. Yeah. You're just there for yourself. And... And you're not going to take it anywhere. Yeah, you're just, you know, yeah, you're just, you're giving a speech and ultimately they're, if they don't care, then guess what? That That's all it'll be. It'll just be a fucking speech. Yeah. That's, I made this joke every time when someone goes, you know, like, oh, are you funny? And I go, well, always remember it. It's just a speech until someone laughs. <laughs> so, um, right. What did, uh, what? What is uh, Mike? What's your ma favorite Mike Sasson joke that you're telling? It changes. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of the football one right now with Penn State because yeah. I, I, being from Pennsylvania and knowing those people, it's always a fun thing to rip them. <laughs> um, probably my favorite joke is the one that I. I remember about a year ago, and I still tell it, uh, when the Charlottesville thing happened, when they had the, uh, they had the, uh, the, the white, the, 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 the Proud Boys or whatever, doing the march to save Confederate general statues. And I sat there, and I actually read an article about the guy who put it together. And he sat there, and goes, the reason why we are marching to protect these statues of Confederate generals is because these statues are a critical part of white culture. And I remember thinking when I read that, I go, you're right. Confederate general statues are a huge part of white culture because there is nothing more white 
than participation trophies. <laughs> and that's exactly what a statue is of a guy who got his ass kicked. It's just a, it's just a racist participation trophy. That's my favorite joke. Because to me, when it hits, that's when you talk about you're getting to a Hicksie and Carlin level yeah. of yeah, fuck those guys. <laughs> and you're right. It, you know, Robert E. Lee did fail, ultimately. And the fact that you have his statue up, the only reason you did is because he tried. <laughs> so what is, what, what's your favorite Carlin bit? Oh, shit. <laughs> you know, Carlin's an interesting comic because of the fact that he had so many... He, he's an inspiration for a, a guy of my age because... He had so many phases. Yeah. And he had his initial phase when he was the hippy-dippy weatherman. Yeah. And more of the commercial. And then he had his phase where he was talking about, you know, why is it that my stuff is tough and your stuff is shit? You know, that yeah. Kind of and then his later stage when he would really, he he says he eventually, tra he, he, he initially was a comic that wrote his own stuff and then eventually became a writer who performed what he wrote. Yeah. And so... You know, the, the, I mean, like, you have the favorites about, like, oh, the difference between baseball and football and those kind of stuff. But then yeah. you also have, you know, his, his, you know, his kind of breaking down of, you know, uh, the, the middle class and his breaking down of America and all that kind of stuff. So all those things were just I, incredible. I always loved his uh, NIMBY bit. Yeah. You remember his NIMBY bit? Yeah. Not in my backyard. Mm -hmm. But I had I have to say my favorite George Carlin just is just this little joke about things you can do and I've always wanted to try it but I just I I don't have the balls to do it mm. I just want to run into a store and go what year is <laughs> and just simple stuff like that I mean he had. Don't get me wrong, he had great bits about throwing fire on people, flamethrowers, like you said, stuff, uh, where you're just, you're, you're just looking for, a, like a house is just essentially a place to put your stuff. And uh, I was actually talking to, uh, who is my, he's the best teacher I've ever had, both intellectually and emotionally. Uh, my high school math teacher, Mr. Dunn, and I was talking to him some years after I graduated, before he uh, before he died. And, he, and uh, George Carlin actually went through Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, which I I used to live there. And he said that was his last tour, and for the most part, he just talked about death which he found quite ironic. And, I mean, George Carlin almost like, predicted fucking 9-11. Well, the thing about George Carlin is he actually came out with a new comedy special that was supposed to drop on September 12th, and they had to bag it because it was too, like, it was not 
wave the flag America type stuff. Oh, really? Like it was kind of like, uh, yeah, why, you know, yeah, why, why would you ever talk to the cops? Do what they do. Keep it, keep your mouth shut, type stuff. And it was, it was just really, it's, it's out there on YouTube if you want to see it. But yeah, he had to shelve an entire comedy special because wow. it was just, it, the nation's mood just changed like that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean. It's weird how sometimes I, he might have just been like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> like, I think he talked about it on Charlie Rose one time as he goes, he, he no longer felt a part of the human race. He just started to become the observer of it. Yeah. He just was like, oh, you're going to do that now. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, that's... You never want to get jaded. No. But, yeah, it's one of those things to... It's like we even talk about Hicks. I, I personally feel that... You know, I mean, that kind of level of vitriol towards society can't be healthy. No. And that's, you know, I mean, I, I personally, I'm, I'm not a religious person, but I am a spiritual person. But yeah. I do believe that if you have that kind of vibe, eventually the universe does answer. It just says, oh, you want to leave? Okay. We'll, yeah. We'll leave. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, speaking of which, do you remember where you were on September 11th when you found out about the towers? It was uh, it was in the morning. Uh, I was a salesman in Pittsburgh. I had just done a sales call. I was listening to Howard Stern. I was in a drive-through getting an egg McMuffin. Howard Stern was talking about going uh, with Pamela Anderson to a strip club, and then his producer Gary Delabate ran in and said, "A plane just ran into the World Trade Center." Now, you had always heard there was a story about, like, a plane one time ran into uh, the Empire State Building, so you figure, oh my gosh, this could be an accident. Yeah. And you didn't know until the second one. Yeah. That's when an official was like, okay, this is, this is crazy shit. And then there was the crash in Somerset, Pennsylvania, which is only about an hour and 15 minutes away from Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. So you're sitting there going, oh, shit, not only did this happen in D.C., not only did this happen in New York City, it happened an hour and 15 minutes away from where I was. Wow. So, and then there was the thing on the news that there was like 50 airplanes unaccounted for in the sky. Yeah. And so you're sitting there going, Jesus, did they take 50, did they hijack 50 airplanes? Are they going to yeah. crash into every major city in the country kind of deal? Yeah. Um, and so there was this, this, this thing for like the whole day. And I remember my buddy, because I had just graduated from college in Connecticut. So I had a couple buddies that lived in New York and worked in and around the area. And I got a call just out of the blue from one of my buddies that I hadn't talked to in about a year. Yeah. And I sat there and went, oh, shit shit did he call me because something just happened or whatever yeah. so i immediately drove home and remember this is before cell phones everyone yeah. had a cell phone. so i had I, wa I went in and i called him up and i go yo mike what's going on he goes oh i'm in connecticut i'm fine but can you see this shit i go mm -hmm. yeah and i remember his dad was just and it was just the most like like the most straightforward business person in the history of the world, and I had never he could imagine. He just sent out a one-word essay. He goes, one-word thing. Goes, anybody wants to go home, go home. Wow. And you sit there. This guy was like the Mister. You know, like at one point I had worked for I had worked for a company that he had run, and at one point one of his managers sent out an email that stated on a Sunday. He goes, I want to see how many people check their emails on a Sunday. 
<laughs> that's how that's how dedicated he thought we should be. And for him to send in an email saying anybody wants to go home, go home. That was that was how weird it was. Wow. I remember uh, I was sitting in math class. It was second it was second period. You know, just miserable to be in fucking school. I was still in high school. And all of a sudden on the PA, fucking the vice principal comes on. He's like, teachers, if you want to turn on your TVs for the for the, uh, for the the things that are occurring, he goes, you may do so for educational purposes or something like that. And we were like, what the fuck is going on right now? And like this uh it was another teacher but like she assistant taught in this class for that period she's like i'm gonna go find out what's going on so she left she was gone for like 30 minutes and then she comes back rolling in this tv and she's like you guys aren't gonna believe this shit and all we knew is that a, a plane had crashed into the twin towers i don't know i can't remember if a plane had crashed into the Pentagon yet or not. So I remember it went Twin Towers, Pentagon, then Twin Towers again, then Pennsylvania. But but that by the time the second plane hit, I was like, oh shit, we're going to war. Well, the thing that was so weird about that moment is everybody kind of shits on millennials. Yeah. And to me, if that's the defining moment of our lifetime, which right now it is. Yeah. Can you honestly blame any human being for believing that more or less everything is pointless? <laughs> you know, 3,000 people died. Why? They went to work on a Tuesday. Yeah. That's it. And so you sit there, and then freaking eight years in, and they go, then you go to a war under false pretenses. Then in 2008, the economy just literally just stopped working. Yeah. Like, they had to make an announcement, like, yeah, we're, we're 36 hours from this entire system just stopping. And you're just sitting there going, like, yeah, yeah, who, I'm really not concerned about, like, you know, if I live in my parents' basement for the rest of my life, who cares? Yeah. You know, and, and I, <laughs> I understand that, you know, it's, so it's, <laughs> it is the nature of, it's, it's the defining, that it, as... For my grandparents, it would be obviously Pearl Harbor. For my parents, it would have been uh, the JFK assassination, which, interesting story. They tell a story that, and obviously my name's Mike Sasson, and so they tell the story that my, my aunt, who was like maybe five at the time, they turned on the radio and they said an, un, an unknown assassin had just killed the president. And so she goes, why do they think we killed the president? What? Because she's an unknown assassin. Goes, what do you mean? We're not. We're in New Jersey. Why would we kill the president? Who's an unknown assassin? We're not why, in Texas. Yeah. Why would this happen? Why are they blaming us? <laughs> oh man. So, what do you think? Like, what are your what are your big goals for the future? Like stand up wise. I would sit there, I, I've i learned enough in my life, especially in terms of entertainment, that you just kind of just keep working and, mm. enter, and then things happen. Yeah. You know, and that you can't predict. 
I would sit there and say that my goal every day when I wake up is just to be a better comic today than I was yesterday. Yeah. And to eventually be the best possible comedian that I can be. And I know people are sitting there going, "That's don't you want to host a late night show? Don't you want to tour the world? Don't you want to be a movie star? And the point being is all that shit will happen if you focus on... Yeah. Yeah. I always felt that football coaches were actually very spiritual. They just used different words. Yeah. Like, I remember, you know, you talk to any sort of, like, spiritual advisor, they'll talk about mindfulness, which is staying in the moment. Yeah. Well, I remember a football coach talking about is, we're always concentrate where our feet are. Be where your feet are. And I'm like, you're just saying mindfulness. You're just saying it in a different way. You know, so he'd always talk about, like, and I remember, you know, when we would... When we would we before game days we would have we'd our coach would lay us out in a hotel ballroom he'd turn off the lights and he would we'd go through the next day and that's visualization you know that's yeah you know, if, if 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 he was wearing a robe and had a long hair he'd be you know they'd pay a couple hundred bucks an hour for visualization exercises but since he was visualizing us you know tomorrow going to play football it was just a different thing it, it, it's. I just always find that if, if, if you just focus on the details, you know, you become, a, you, be, you know, the, Nick Saban is always very big on the process. Yeah. You know, you gotta, you, you just become, his point of view is, he doesn't focus on the national championship game, he focuses on today. Yeah. And the national championship game will come. Yeah. When you focus on today and you focus on the details. And so, again, I focus on the details. So whatever happens from there, I'll just be like, oh, this opportunity presented itself. And then you just do the best you can from there. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, so um, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to pursue stand-up as a career? Uh, I would sit there and say, first off, why are you asking me? <laughs> <laughs> but I would say... Um, Get good wherever you're at. I am very, I'm always very, uh, very, very surprised and very shocked when someone moves to Los Angeles or New York to do stand up for the first time. I always feel like this is not a good place to do stand up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You want to show up here and at least have a background. Yeah. Um, so I would sit there and say, get good where you're at. And then just follow these two rules. Be funny and be kind. If you're funny and you're a nice person... A lot more doors are going to open for you. A lot of good things will happen. Um, If you're not funny and you're nice, you'll still get some decent opportunities. Yeah. People want you around. If you're insanely funny but kind of a dick, you'll eventually get something but not that nice. So it's almost more important to be nice than it is to be funny. Yeah. Uh, And if you're Owen too. If you're not funny and you're a dick, <laughs> pretty much you got zero percent chance. <laughs> so get good where you're at and be funny and be nice. Okay, okay. All right. So, um, what uh, do you have? A, do you have any? Do you have any shows coming up? Uh, unless someone is listening to this within the last twenty, next twenty-four hours. Uh, find me on um, I do have a show coming up but you'll probably it already will have passed by the time you listen to this <laughs> I would sit there and say if you want to see me uh, just uh, Instagram uh, Twitter 
and uh, and Facebook and all that kind of stuff is just Mike Sasson, M-I-K-E-S-A-S-S-O-N. And uh, come and see me and say hi. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Yeah, uh, this has been uh, this has been episode seven and the relaunching of Jared's comics you've never heard of that you should probably know. And uh, Mike, thank you uh, so much for coming out, uh, being a part of this. Uh, Mike's fucking, he's hilarious. Uh, check him out if you get a chance. And uh, yeah, just thanks so much, Mike. No problem, brother. All right, all right, everybody. Uh, you. Uh, you guys have a good day.